I'm Andrew McNulty. Welcome to the Rise podcast series. For the last 25 years, I've met the best guys and girls around the world in regard to resilience, well-being and leadership. I've been educated by them, coached by them, inspired by them, and certainly I've learned a huge amount by spending time with them. In this podcast series, you're going to get a download from those people. I hope you get educated. I hope you get motivated. I hope you get inspired. And yes, I hope you get activated to doing things differently in terms of your resilience, your well-being, and your leadership through adversity. Now more than ever, we as leaders in our own homes, in our own communities, in our teams, in our organizations, in our global companies or in our small companies, we need to be more resilient. We need to become better leaders and we need to rise higher. Today on the Rise Higher podcast, I'm thrilled to have Sean O'Brien. I could spend maybe 30 minutes speaking about this guy's portfolio of success, what he's achieved for Ireland, for the Lions, for Leinster, and of course now for London Irish. I could talk about all the accolades. I could talk about how Richie McCaw rated him as one of the best players in the world, that if he had a choice, he's the one player he would have joining him in the All Blacks. And that's high praise, of course, from a player like Richie. But I'm going to use a quote from Johnny Sexton to describe this gentleman. Johnny Sexton said that Sean O'Brien is one of the best players I've ever played with. As a forward, I'd say he's the best. I can't add anything to that. I can't add any more praise to that comment from Johnny Sexton. Shawnee, we're delighted to have you on the Rise Higher podcast. Thanks for having me, Enda. Looking forward to this. I think you've got a coaching camp there in the next few days. I believe you're doing a little bit of coaching. Is that right? Yeah, I've been. Uh, I'm over in Jersey visiting uh, my brother at the minute, but he has me. Um, he has me roped into all sorts <laughs> without telling me, by the way. So I'm just. <laughs> I believe you're doing a bit of coaching. I remember when I first got to know you, Shawnee, way back in the day. You had a passion for coaching. You had a passion for making a difference. Whether it was young Gaelic footballers or hurlers or young rugby players, you've spent a lot of your last twenty years, Shawnee, not only obviously playing but also coaching. Can you give our listeners around the world an insight to your passion for coaching? Yeah, I think it's I think it's something that I've always enjoyed. I started coaching first when I was eighteen, and I was actually coaching my senior uh, rugby team at home. And I remember the very first meeting I had with them because there were there was lads 35, 36, some lads forty that shouldn't probably be playing, but they were still hanging on for dear life. Um. And I, I, I brought him into a meeting one day and I said to him, Lucas, I'm not going to dictate to you or, or tell you this is the right way, but I'm going to give you some tools that I believe that can make you better and improve you um, as a team and try and help you achieve the goals. And I suppose the main goal for my own club at the time in Tullow was winning a Towns Cup, which is the biggest club competition in Ireland. Um, so... Thankfully, thankfully, we've done that. We've done it uh, five years ago now. Um, to see grown men who are like 65, 70 years of age crying on the sideline. And you ask yourself, why do you do this? Why have, why have I done it since I was 18? Well, you, you just have to look around and you say, well, that's why I've done it. Like, to see the joy um, on those people who have been in the trenches for years playing with the club, who put their life and soul into something and got very little out of it. So they're, they're the things that, for me, seeing a team improve, seeing individuals improve, <clears throat> but the bigger picture of the actual community and 
the sense of achievement then that you've had a small part to play in it. Um, you know, that's what gives me the kick of actually coaching and trying to improve a team or an environment. And it's, uh, it's something I'm always striving for. Um, and it's, I just think it's ingrained in me now at this stage. Uh, something I absolutely love and get a big kick out of myself. And we might come back to that later on to talk a little bit about what do you think the next chapter will be long after you finish playing rugby. But I hope it's okay, Shani. We're going to go right back to 2011. In 2011, you won European Player of the Year. You had a phenomenal performance in the final, of course, in the Heineken Cup, but also right throughout that season, you had a series of amazing performances. What do you think was the key to your playing so well that season, Shawnee, both personally and then as a team? Um, <clears throat> I think personally, I was um, I, there was a little bit of unknown about me at the time in 2011. I'd been playing professionally only for basically three years at that stage. I got capped um, by Ireland in 09. I was confident. I was young. I was strong. Um, I had a bit of X factor that other people didn't really have at the time. Um, and I had a coach who was very detailed and kind of made the game plan around a few of us. And that's installed a lot of... Um, belief and confidence in what we were trying to do as, as a group but I think that that year itself I think personally I just went to a different level I felt as if if I played well the team always played well but how but did I, you go to the next level Shawnee what, what were the keys to you going to the next level I think I think knowing my game knowledge and knowing what role I had within the environment had a massive part to play in it and well some players are very good at different aspects of the game. I was trying to bring, I was trying to have more of an influence on the group as a whole. And so there was lots of boxes to be ticked in terms of getting to that place. But definitely my preparation for games under, under our coach at the time, Joe Smith, went to a different level. So I had my game knowledge locked away on a Tuesday evening, for instance, even if we we're playing on Saturday. And on Wednesday, if, if the game was, if we, if we were told, right, lads, you're playing in the morning, I was ready to rock. So I probably had my prep done very early in the week. And the rest of it then was just an enjoyment factor of it. I was young, loved, loved obviously playing rugby, but brought a different energy to the training environment. And I've, I'm a bit of a yapper when I'm on the field in terms of communication. Well, some people will call it yapping. I call it communication, <laughs> where... <coughs> I like to kind of, you're nearly coaching other lads around you. You're trying to make other people around you in the team and the environment look good. And it could be a small, it could be a small trigger to tell someone to get back in the line in defence or that you're going to give them a tip on an attack. Um, so all these little bits, I was starting to add to my game at that stage. And I was probably ahead of a lot of other players um, at that time in terms of my rugby ability. So it was, there was there's probably an awful it's very complex I think when you actually break it all down but the big thing for me was my preparation early in the weeks getting all my detail locked away and then nutrition gym all that kind of stuff all those all those bits and pieces that all add up come the weekend I was just I just felt like I was a man that couldn't be stopped that's a hell of a statement one of the things about that, Shawnee, you mentioned your confidence. Do you think that your preparation is intrinsically linked to your confidence? In other words, when you have the confidence done uh, to perform at that level and you have all the preparation done, that they're absolutely linked? 
hundred percent because if you go into a game of rugby, especially um, and physically, you have people coming after you, and you're not prepared in in terms of getting their role wrong, but you're not prepared in your mind to go to war. It's you're on you're on to a lose. You're going to lose that battle straight away. So that's I think I think throughout the years, and especially those you talk about 2011 and 12 and all those years, it's it's something you build. You realise that the better you're pre- prepared during the week, come the weekend, your performance should should be a good one, or you're you're in the mixer anyway to, in order to win games or or to be the player of a, a player of a match, etc. And at that stage, I was just like, that's what I used to say to myself as well. I used to say, if I've done all these things, I said, I'm going to be player of the match the weekend. And I remember 2011, I think I got 11 or 12 of that whole season, like man of the match awards. So it was just like, it was a bit of a roller coaster of a year for me. It's probably what the, the year that set me up in terms of, um, you know, people start to take notice then and said, right, where's this book from Tullow and what's, what's he doing? And how is, he, how, is he, how is he playing so well at the minute? I remember, Shawnee, we did a session with a global betting company, Paddy Power, and they asked me, how could we possibly organize a major event so they could increase the amount of people applying for jobs? And they were trying to get 50 or 60 people in for a job application. And I said, well, I'd suggest that myself and Sean O'Brien doing a session on a Saturday. And me and you were trying to get a date that suited, obviously, around your rugby game. And we organized a session for you to talk to potential recruits for Paddy Power on a Saturday morning. 700 people turned up for the session. So can you tell us, Shani, a little bit about your belief on the transfer of leadership skills or team skills from sport into business or from farming into business? What's your belief in that context? It's funny because I I think at the very start of, of my career, I was very um, set in my ways, let's say. And as it's evolved and as you get a bit older and a bit wiser, things start to change and you start to realize and you start to learn a lot more about different environments, how to deal with people um, and what's needed within a high performance environment, whether it be business or whether it be a sporting organization to actually go to one direction. And Probably in Leinster, um, for instance, at the start, we were in a we had a really core group of people. So let's say a, a, our leadership group, for instance, and it's like any business at the minute. We all had there's always leaders within within a business. But are all those leaders on the same page to get to, to get a company or to get an organization to the same to the top of the peak, for instance? And I was. Um, I used to always say to some of the lads, like have little conversations here and there about where we were going day to day stuff in order for us to get there at the weekend. But I was always of the opinion where I was looking after myself a lot more in the early days. And as you grow throughout your career, you start to think about other people and, and the organization and the bigger picture. And I think nowadays, the, I suppose the, the correlation between the both, the both of them is business and sport is that Everyone is, everyone's a different individual, but everyone needs to believe in, in what you're trying to do together. And everyone needs to take every box in order to get there. And if you have won, like what, what I've learned in the last, uh, over my career is that if you have one or two kind of black sheep that are veering away from that arrowhead that you want to get to, 
it brings other people, it kind of brings other people down. They might have negative thoughts. Um, you know, they might be working as hard as they can. So actually, when I came to London Irish, this was actually a, it was a big learning curve for me because the club had been in the lower division and up and down in the championship for four or five years. And when I came in, I was I wanted to have a lot of conversations with people, first and foremost, to get a feel of what was missing or what was already here or what was instilled in players and what their daily habits were, what they wanted to achieve um, personally, what to, where the club wanted to go. And it just wasn't the players either. It was management, it was CEOs, it was everything that I was having a chat with. And it's quite funny that everyone was on a different level. Everyone was going different directions. And I actually remember doing a session with the players one day and I drew up on a board, just a load of arrows going in different directions on a whiteboard. And I said to the lads, what's this at the minute? What does this look like? And no one answered me because they never had the conversations about, right, what do you want to get out of your career here? Where do you see the club in a few years? And that's, we, we kind of developed a plan then um, after forming a leadership group too of actually going to one direction and how to try and get there. But it's, it's, a, it's a process, it's a difficult thing. But I think in terms of business and sport, it's completely exactly the same uh, picture. Like we, we all need to go to one direction in order to succeed at something. And the other thing was when I came into London Irish was they never had a fight and train or anything, <laughs> which, was, which was bananas because we were always scrapping in Leinster and Ireland because we wanted it. And we, we, if things weren't to a certain standard, people were getting a shake. Um, so after throwing a few uh, pleasantries at training sessions, lads like, were like, what is going on here? Like, but soon after all of this happens, they know that they have to come to train and prepare. Now, I'm not saying you're going to go into an office and start beating up people. But what I am saying is you hold everyone accountable to, to the plan that we have created as a group. And... I think that's the biggest thing that if everyone's on board and everyone sticks to what they've said they're going to do in terms of where we want to get to, um, you know, it makes it very easy. So I think the, the it's very similar in business. And in terms of the farm, you know, you talk with the farm into business as well. Um, you know, I had to kind of step away from the farm a little bit because I'm not there hands on. And me and dad would be banging heads sometimes about different aspects of what way it should be going. But when I, if I ever get back home and go and get towards that plan with him, I don't, I don't, I think I need, I think I might need a psychologist to come with me actually to try and get my head around my father. But <laughs> it's something that, it's something that has to be, you have to be there and you have to be involved in it to try and make it work. Um, Johnny, I remember uh, just in terms of the arrows, I remember vividly doing a session with the entire Leinster squad way back in 2008. December in the Burlington Hotel. Michael Chega called me on a Sunday evening and he said, mate, we need to go quickly with this team. We organized a session the next day with the entire Leinster squad and we actually did an exercise like that with all of you guys. We drew on the board uh, arrows of, let's say, everybody going in different directions on standards, behaviors, habits, levels of professionalism. And we drew, obviously, on the other whiteboard, everybody going the same direction on behaviors, mindset, professionalism, and standards. And we asked the, the whole group, where were we? 
and everybody of course pointed to the left hand board which was everybody going in different directions and I remember that day vividly and even myself learning uh, I think the Australian guys and New Zealand guys come up to me afterwards and say mate you're going to have to slow down your communication and you know because my, my communication to the group wasn't nearly good enough but I'll be honest Shawnee when I looked at you that day in that group and it was a big risk for Cheka to put me in front of that squad your mentality your curiosity to grow was exceptional. And if I wind the clock forward, then two or three weeks later, in another workshop on mental skills at Lancer's headquarters, some of the guys were laughing and joking when we were doing some work on mental toughness. But I remember mm. watching you vividly, Shawnee, your application, you're going above and beyond. You weren't worried about anybody else looking at you. You were going to do the right thing for yourself and your career. And I remember going, wow. This guy is showing huge leadership, even though he's one of the youngest <clears throat> guys in the squad. What's your memory, Shawnee, from those early sessions? Yeah, there was a few things I took out of all those sessions, obviously, because they were quite, they were quite, I was quite intrigued by all of this. And I'd never done it before either. Um, I, like, my, my mental capacity at that stage was work. I, I, I started working on the farm since I was six or seven years old. Um, always had a summer job, um, you know, things would have been tough enough at home. So I was trying to help and work and I always had that from a young age, I think. But that's why when I started into like listening to some of those sessions that you were doing and how to get better and improve, I was like completely engrossed in it. And that's where I, I said to myself, well, if I'm going to give this a, a proper crack, I'm going to be the best in all these areas that other people aren't very good in yet. And that's where I say, you know, we get to 2011 again. But like I was, I was ahead of the game in terms of my mindset, in terms of people saying, right, this lad's not going away. He's not backing down. He's relentless. He's doing all. He's he's still yapping on the 80th minute with his big squealy voice, and, and they're sick of listening to me at this stage. But I think I think I think yeah, from early on, I, I had a massive work rate and. Those early sessions, I remember one of the sessions where you said, uh, you talk about mindset, and you said, how many press-ups can you do? And I had in my head, mm, how many press-ups can you do without stopping? I had in my head about 70, I think, which was quite a few at the time, I thought. <laughs> but anyway, then you said, right, get down and get down and start doing press-ups. I think I got to like 95 or 90 or around the 90 mark, maybe. How many maybe. can you do today? <laughs> with my shoulders hanging off and I, <laughs> I might get 10 done <laughs> um, but like that for me then the smallest little uh, shift in your mindset and you can do anything you want to do and I think that's the difference as well between really successful people and people who are doing well let's say in their career but they can go, they, you can always get better you can always do more and it's probably something that's just resonated with me then for the rest of my career where I said, well, even if I've gotten a, a Heining Cup or played with Ireland or done any of this, I said it always can get better. And it was always a thing as well if I had a bad injury, which I've had a lot of over my career, that I said, I'm going to come back in better shape than I've ever been in. And I've done it like I'm 34 years of age now. And I came back from a hip resurfacing two years ago. And I was in better shape than I was when I was like 26 or 20, even 29. Like, um, so there's always, there's always improvement to be made. So I always have that mindset of, okay, I can get better here, regardless of any, anything that comes my way. Um, 
and actually a reminder of another story that you told and this I always revert back to this about the US Marines going through the the forest where the tigers and there was crocodiles and there was everything in there and I think there was 15 of them and halfway through it they heard these funny noises in the bushes and thought they were going to get eaten and uh, one fella said quick quick let's get back to where we started and then the commander or the leader within the group said, no, no, I said, we'll just sit here. It doesn't matter how long we sit here for. He says, but we'll keep moving forward. And we'll assess the situation. And I always kind of think of that. I said, it doesn't have to be done instantly. It can be done over a period of time. It's just as long as your mindset is in the right place to actually want to get to the finish line or want to get to touch that white fence, I think was the name of that story. So that always, that always resonates with me as well, where I'm at where it doesn't matter if you get the obstacles in your life. Um, it's just about how you overcome them, how you assess them, and then how you get better and, and get there in the very end. So I think that mindset is just, it's just something I have. And obviously I've grown it and, and I remind myself about it a lot to improve and to try and get better. Shawnee, one of the things that happened, believe it or not, in the last week is a guy touched base with me from Australia. We had communicated out about we're going to have Sean O'Brien on the Rise Hard podcast. This guy from Australia touched base with me, and he's actually not Irish. He's not a rugby fan at all. He's Australian, and he works for Amazon in a global role. But he actually met you, Shawnee, with me in a session we did for Amazon Web Services about two years ago when you were talking to them about mindset, about leadership, about standards, and about culture. And he remembers vividly the session you did with him that time, Shawnee. Actually, it was a guy called Neil Morris, an Irish guy who organized the session. And he mm. says he still repeats your mantra to his team now. He's leading a very extensive team for Amazon across APAC. And in particular, he talked about the leadership. And you told a story about in Leinster, walking across the car park one of the days, and you had to say to one of the players, one of the older players, listen, the standards aren't good enough. And he uses that story now when he's meeting some of his colleagues in Amazon around the world. Without mentioning the, the Leinster player's name, Shawnee, can I ask you just to, to tell that same story? Yeah, it was, it was um, we were going through a bit of, um, there was a little bit of a rocky patch in Leinster at the time. And we were, um, we, I think we'd lost a couple of games on the bounce and we're in a bit of a transition phase, but we were trying to, as a leadership group, we were trying to keep driving the standards, make sure that we were trying to improve and, and get back on track really. But there was one of the most influential players, I would say at the time, who was absolutely on fire on the field, playing so, so well, but he was very negative around the environment. Um, just because he has, we we had had a few losses, a few bits weren't going quite right. But rather than saying right, how can we fix this, and what's what's the solution to trying it better, he was having little conversations with people, and I just didn't like it. So, and I knew if I knew the type of his personality that if you confronted him in front of the squad, it wouldn't go down well. He would he he wouldn't react well to that, and that's what I mean about having conversations with your team as well, because you know who to put an arm around you know who to give a kick in the arse to. And you know who, you know, you, you can actually pull him out in front of a group and say, right, this isn't good enough and you'll take it. But this in particular fella wouldn't take that very well. So I said I'd wait till after training. I remember waiting at the door and seeing him going out. And I said to myself as I was walking out behind him, this could go either way now. I said, we could be choking each other in the in the car park or he'll actually take my feedback on and, and, uh, and get on with it. 
but I just I went over to him and I said, "Can I can I chat to you for a few minutes?" And he said, "Yeah, yeah, what's up?" And he he's he's not the most engaging fellow either, but <clears throat> I was pretty direct with him. And I just said, "Look at, I think your standards at the minute and and the, the negativity that you're that you're bringing into the environment I said, it's just not good for us." I said. Um, I just told him basically how good he was. I said, do you realize how good you are and how influential you are around the place? I said, for younger guys in the academy and for some of our players that aren't as experienced, they're listening to you moan and give out about um, the setup, um, the food. He was giving out literally anything he could give out about the time he was. Um, And I just told him straight out, I said, it's not good enough. And I said, you know, when you come back in in the morning, I said, make sure you bring a different attitude. And he actually texted me. He, t- as I said, he's not the most engaging fella, so he wouldn't really. Once you're finished the conversation with him, that would be it. But uh, I, I knew I kind of, um, you know, hit the right note with him when I got a text that night at about ten o'clock saying, "Look, I really appreciate you being honest with me today, and tomorrow I'm going to be better." And um, you know, small things like that, I think, make a big difference within the environment, obviously. And then the rest of that week, it just so happens that. I didn't hear any Chinese whispers about negativity or people moaning within the setup. He was just getting on with his job and he actually trained phenomenally, phenomenally well. I remember it clearly. Um, and that's, yeah, small things like that, small little conversations on a side note, um, you know, can make a big difference to the environment. Do you think in a high performance environment, Shawnee, you mentioned that earlier on, do you think that happens regularly in high performance environments? The leaders set the standard to have those micro chats. I remember you actually talking about that in some of the meetings we had in Ireland about the micro chat on and off the pitch. What's your experience of that, Shawnee, in a Lions change room, Leinster, Ireland, maybe even down in Tullow? Is that yeah. commonplace? Or does it happen once a year? Or what's your experience? It's, it's quite funny because when people say, and when you tell someone you're a professional rugby player, you think, oh, well, all these boys are professionals, so they're very good at communicating. They're very good at um, being honest with each other. They're very good at all these things, which isn't the case. People are, obviously, people, every person is different. So some people are very skilled at communicating. Some people are very quiet. Um, some people just don't chat when they're under pressure on the field in terms of fitness-wise and stuff. But everyone doesn't know this. That's not in your circle. So for me... It's probably, you know, you talk about Tolo there. It started in Tolo for me because when I was playing in the rugby club um, and someone didn't like something, they would tell you. And it's probably just a background thing as well from being at home, country boys. um, You know, if you have something on your chest, you get it off your chest pretty quickly. And it's done with. And especially in my old club where if anything happened on the field, it was left on the field. It was one of the things I remember even when my dad was playing. That if there was a fight or if there was um, a row or someone was giving each other verbals, it was always left on the field. And then you'd go and enjoy yourself afterwards. Um, so it started there for me. When I got into the professional environment within the Leinster Academy and um, you start to see who might be a leader, who might be someone who you follow, who might say something, but not necessarily back it up or who might say messages but they will not ask anyone else to do anything they're not willing to do themselves. So you start to see all these things and you start to see people developing very quickly in these roles. And I think for me, I was very lucky to have 
leaders that were older than me as well when I came into that Leinster squad the likes of Leo Cullen and the Driscolls and all these boys who were very very good around the environment but very very good at um, giving clear direction good messages um, didn't talk for the sake of talking um, so there was no waffle it was direct it was to the point it was what you needed at the time and you just got on with it then. So, so I on think that note, on that note, Sean, you mentioned the leaders and you mentioned directing to the point. Can you quickly tell me the top leaders in your experience in Leinster that formed that winning culture then in Ireland and then in the Lions? So if I ask you to precisely tell me, in your opinion, who are the top leaders, almost the cultural architects in those three squads? I think for Leinster, anyway, definitely Leo Cullen would have been one of them. Um, um, and someone who was very set in their mindset as well was Shane Horgan at the time. He was a big, big, big driver of uh, the emotional side of the Leinster. Ireland then, you obviously had O'Driscoll and O'Connell. Um, and I, I'm leaving O'Driscoll out of the Leinster side, but because it, at the time they had such a key group of players that it was, it was shared as such. But in Ireland, he was captain. Paulie was captain after him, etc. And they were unbelievable because for me anyway, looking at them, they'd done exactly what they said they were going to do. They led that way. Um, the Lions then, you look at someone like, um, you know, even Sam Warburton, who just has all his detail, has everything done, and you know that he's prepared as well as he could ever prepare. And someone like even Jamie Heaslip was the same, unbelievably well-prepared. Uh, Alan Wynne Jones, who's now the captain now at the minute, incredible, incredible athlete and person around the environment as well. There's so, so many actually now that I think of it. But I think actually for the Lions, it's, it's quite a funny one because everyone was a leader nearly. Everyone leads themselves. They lead certain areas, small little bits um, within the game. And that's, I think that's the most special thing about the Lions actually it's actually easier to be in that environment than it is in the others because you have these top, top end players who actually all have a little bit of um, something to add to the squad. Where in, in other teams, you have quieter people, some people don't talk, etc. cetera. Um, but yeah, they're, they're probably the, the guys who, for me, over the years, just stand out off the top of my head. Shifting gears, Shawnee, the next five years for Sean O'Brien, let's say you play another year or two, please God, your body holds up. What's the next big chapter for Sean O'Brien? Yes, it's 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 a, it's a really good question, and it's um it's something I'll be honest with you that it's, it's it frightens me a little bit, and I've one more year left of my contract in London Irish for next season, and I really want to try and plan my exit then from rugby over the next kind of 15, 16 months. I think the coaching role, obviously, a coaching role somewhere is will will suit me I really enjoy it obviously like we said at the very start of this it's something that I want to do it's something that um, I've I suppose personal goals to to reach when I start coaching um, and obviously like personal development then off, off away from that is something I want to try and grow in and and get better at and and help I suppose help organizations help different teams and cultures get better um, and I think I can add a lot of value with my experience to, to different aspects, whether it be business or a sporting organization. 
so that's that's the the short term, I suppose for now. Um, you never really know. I don't think I never think too far ahead, um, which can be good and bad. But in the short term, they're probably the things that I'm looking at. I have obviously a few bits and pieces of um, business and stuff set up back in Ireland um, that are just being run themselves. But um, I want to do. I definitely want to do stuff that I enjoy and get a lot out of. Um, I, I wouldn't be the type of person that would go into a job that I didn't enjoy or that I couldn't uh, that I couldn't have a few pints after work. <laughs> What's the best advice you ever got, Shawnee? The best advice I've ever gotten. There's probably there's probably two actually bits of advice. We were we were in a, a team talk one time when I was 19, I think. And uh, one of our leaders at the time said, you do not have to be the most talented, the best, um, the biggest to be able to work hard. And that always rings a bell with me. Work, work rate will outdo a lot of other things. Um, that was one of them. And then the second one that rings my head is get busy getting better and those two while they're quite simple things they're actually everyday life is it's a, it's a part of everyday life for you um so they're probably two pieces of advice that that keep ringing in my head and um that's something i'm going to try and keep striving towards and finally shawnee as we draw towards a close you've had a lot of setbacks in your career but it's almost like in a match of seeing you taking some major hits against the All Blacks, the South Africans, the Australians, maybe Northampton and so on. But you kept getting up again, Shawnee. What advice have you got for people around the world, no matter what performance crucible they're in, for keeping getting up, keeping, I guess, persistent and keeping on, keeping on? What's your advice for them? My advice for them is that, um, you know, it's a choice. It's a choice. You can sit down. You can lie down on your back after getting the belt or you can get back up and get back on the bandwagon straight away and, you know, forge ahead, start running through walls or, in my case, running through people again. Um, it's definitely a choice. And as I said about, I've had so many things wrong with my body. If you name them all out, you, people are probably wondering, well, why, what type of crazy person are you to keep doing this now? But... Um, that's what it comes down to really. You have a choice whether you want to get up, move forward with your life and get better. Or you have a choice where you can sit down and, and stay still. And, um, you know, you're not going to go very far then. So make, make the choice um, to keep forging ahead and, and getting yourself in a really good place. For people that want to find out more about that choice, they should definitely read the book Fuel because in that book, you'll find out about all those choices. You'll find out about the fighting cocks. You'll find out, of course, about the Tullow tank. And you'll definitely find out about what made this player arguably one of the greatest Irish players in history. Sean O'Brien, it's been a pleasure again. I have no doubt we're going to see you having a very successful career after you finish playing on the pitch. What's the last word from Sean O'Brien? The last word is enjoy yourselves while you're doing all of this. <laughs> Thank you so much, Shawnee. Complete pleasure. You've been listening to the Rise podcast series, helping you to develop your strength, leadership, and resilience in these remarkable times. 
rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Andy McNulty. Thank you for listening.